Hello, and welcome to the Commander Theory Podcast. I'm Nick Beatman, and I'm here with my friend, Zach Mack. Hello, theorists. So today we are wrapping up our coverage of the Brothers War. Uh, we're going to be going through our predictions from Dominaria United to, to check them for accuracy. We're also going to be giving some new predictions about what cards from the Brothers War are going to be the most impactful in the Commander format. Uh, and we're going to be giving our, our general thoughts about the set and uh, sort of wrapping up all these episodes we've had on this topic. Uh, so we are excited to get started. But before we jump in, I want to briefly talk about our Patreon. If you head on over to patreon.com slash theory, you can support the show and get sweet benefits, including ad-free episodes for as little as $1 a month. If you aren't ready to be a patron yet, you can help us out by rating or reviewing us wherever you get your podcasts. All right, let's jump into it. We're going to begin by checking our predictions from Dominaria United. So that the metric for these predictions, as always, is the number of cards adopted on EDH rec. So if uh, essentially we're looking at what cards are seeing the most play in decks, um, and we'll start off by talking about our predictions from last time. So on our list, in no particular order, we had Sarah Paragon. Uh, Sarah Paragon is two white white for a three four creature angel with flying. Once during each of your turns, you may play a land from your graveyard or cast a permanent spell with mana value three or less from your graveyard. If you do, it gains when this permanent is put into a graveyard from the battlefield. Exile it, and you gain two life. Uh, we also had temporary lockdown. Uh, temporary lockdown is one white white for an enchantment when it enters the battlefield. Exile all non-land permanents with mana value 2 or less until it leaves the battlefield. Uh, we also had Karn's Silex. Uh, so Karn's Silex is 3 mana for a legendary artifact. It enters the battlefield tapped. Players can't gain life or cast spells or to activate abilities that aren't mana abilities. And pay X and tap Exile Karn's Silex. Destroy each non-land permanent with mana value X or less. Activate only as a sorcery. Uh, we had Leaf Crowned Visionary. Uh, so Leaf Crowned Visionary is green green for a 1-1 one, one creature elf druid. Other elves you control get plus plus one. And whenever you cast an elf spell, you may pay green. If you do, draw a card. Next, we've got the, the goblin member of the cycle. It's a Runvelt Horde Master. One in a red for a 1-1 one, one creature goblin. Other goblins you control get plus plus one. Whenever Runvelt Hordemaster or another goblin you control dies, exile the top card of your library. It's a goblin creature card. You may cast that card until the end of your next turn. Uh, we also had Tear Asunder, the Golgari removal spell. Mm-hmm. So Tear Asunder is one and a green for an instant, with Kicker for one and a black. Exile target artifact or enchantment. If this spell was kicked, exile target non-land permanent instead. Then there was Plaza of Heroes. So Plaza of Heroes is a new land. Uh, pretty good at fixing. It is, it, well, it's a land. It taps for a colorless. It also taps for one mana of any color. Spend this mana only to cast a legendary spell. And it has tap, add one mana of any color among legendary permanents you control. Finally, it has three tap, exile Plaza of Heroes. Target legendary creature gains hexproof and indestructible until end of turn. Next on our list, we had Haughty Jin. Uh, Haughty Jin is one blue-blue for a star four creature Jin with flying. 
Hadi Jin's power is equal to the number of instant and sorcery cards in your graveyard, and instant and sorcery cards you or, sorry, instant and sorcery spells you cast cost one less to cast. We had Elias Ilkor, white black for a two-two legendary creature Phyrexian Core Cleric with Death Touch. Whenever another creature enters the battlefield under your control, you gain one life. Whenever another creature you control dies, each opponent loses one life. Finally on our list, we had Defiler of Vigor. Defiler of Vigor is three green green for a 6-6 creature Phyrexian Worm with Trample. As additional cost to cast green permanent spells, you may pay two life. Those spells cost green less to cast if you paid life this way. This effect reduces only the amount of green mana you pay. And whenever you cast a green permanent spell, put a plus one plus one counter on each creature you control. Uh, Those are our predictions. Let's talk a bit about what the actual top 10 were and and sort of judge our performance based on that. So number one in the actual top 10 list was Plaza of Heroes. Uh, And then it it gets wonky almost immediately. Uh, Number two on the list is Braid's Arisen Nightmare. Uh, She's one black black for a 3-3 legendary creature nightmare. At the beginning of your end step, you may sacrifice an artifact creature enchantment land or planeswalker. If you do, each opponent may sacrifice a permanent that shares a card type with it. For each opponent who doesn't, that player loses two life and you draw a card. Next uh, is Shieldred the Apocalypse, number three on this list. Uh, Two black black for a 4-5 legendary creature Phyrexian Praetor with death touch. Whenever you draw a card, you gain two life. Whenever an opponent draws a card, they lose two life. Fourth on our list was Relic of Legends. Three mana for an artifact. Tap, add one mana of any color. And it, and you can tap and untap legendary creature you control to add one mana of any color. Number five was Ellis Ilkor. Defiler Vigor was number six. And then the common tap lands were number seven. So these were the um, tap lands that had the basic land types on them. Your idyllic beachfronts and whatnot. Um, which basically just do what they say and they're fetchable whoa uh, number eight was silverback elder um silverback elder was the uh big gorilla <laughs> it was the five mana five seven um so two green 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 for an ape shaman where whenever you cast a creature spell you either destroy an artifact or enchantment look at the top five cards of your library put a lane from among them onto the battlefield and the rest in the bottom of your library in random order or Gain for life um so you know yeah pretty pretty good uh <laughs> pretty good monkey the next one is uh radadrabic is that his name i think that's right uh rat uh so radadrabic of urborg is two white black for a three three legendary creature zombie wizard with vigilance and ward two other zombies you control have vigilance and whenever another legendary creature you control dies create a token that's a copy of that creature except it's not legendary, and it's a 2-2 black zombie in addition to its other colors and types. Uh, And then number 10 is Timeless Lotus. Five mana for a legendary artifact. Timeless Lotus enters the battlefield tapped, and it can tap for white, blue, black, red, green. So full Wooberg. We might get into the the next couple ones in a little bit, but I just want to talk about (laughs) our hit rate for the top 10, which was... Uh, I think it's the worst we've done in a long time. Yeah, um, it is the worst we've done in a very long time. Uh, so we managed to get three out of ten of this list. Uh, some of which 
some of which I'm like, okay, yeah, we, we probably should have put that on there. Like the common tap lands, I'm sure we've thought of them, but I think it was just a matter of, oh, there's enough like common like tap land mana fixing these days that I don't know if these are going to crack it, but clearly we were wrong there. There is an appetite for more tapped mm-hmm. lands with basic land types. Yeah, especially, and I do want to say especially, the uh, enemy color lands tend to be played more, it looks like. Mm-hmm. Like the the Simic land is one of the higher played ones of these. So Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Other things we whiffed on, we might. I think some of these we got in our like individual predictions before the the melding oh the, the the combining yeah yeah had- so i had like silverback elder on my mm-hmm. list um so that i want to feel don't feel too bad about uh i was in the neighborhood mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. some of these i just don't really understand like braids of risen nightmare shieldred the apocalypse uh radadrabic of urborg these are all i i did not see them coming at all yeah um, yeah <laughs> Tell me like your thoughts on on why some of these these legends showed up in the top ten when typically that's that's outside the norm. It's not very common for legendary creatures to become staples in their own right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's actually um, I think pretty interesting here. I think it's like a combination of things. I think we're at this point where because there's so many legends each set, people have really like taken note and they're making like theme decks based on legendaries and they're putting in tutor packages, especially in white based on legendaries. And so I think I'm going to look at Radadrabic first, because this is the one that I went down the rabbit hole on first is um, like as a card, this guy is being played in all of the legends matters decks. So like the Jodas, um, which is basically half of its play, uh, is from Joda the Unifier, uh, and Joda the Unifier is a DMU commander. Um, is a five mana five five for Wooberg, uh, where legendary creatures you control get plus X plus X, where X is the number of legendary creatures you control. That's a very fun sentence, actually. <laughs> now that I'm saying it out loud, <laughs> and then whenever you cast a legendary spell from your hand, exile cards from the top of your library until you exile a legendary non-land card with a uh, lesser mana value. You may cast the card without paying its mana cost, put the put on the bottom of your library in a random order. So this is like the Legends five color legend. So I think that's one thing was underestimating how popular Jodo would be and how popular Dihada would be, who also is kind of like a legendary commander, but in a much like more uh I'm gonna say fair fashion, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. fair way. Um and the other decks are decks that like to sack things. So like the ever-changing Dane has like a few. Um, there's like Shannon is here. Elias is here. So I think it's just like ways to get extra cracks. If, if you're running a bunch of legends, it's a way to get more sack fodder. Um, it looks like it's even being played in like uh, Verena Lich Queen decks, which I think is pretty silly. And and Kethis, like the hidden hand. So uh, yeah, I think that was the first thing was the underestimating how much like legends matters would have popped off with this set in particular. Cause we've been getting so many legends for so long. I just didn't expect this to be the set that did that. Well, I, guess. I think it's like, I, I will forgive us for missing this one. I think because, um, you know, 
Legends Matter wasn't really a thing outside of like CISA 1.0 or 2.0. Yeah. Um, so it's not like this was a try. Well, it's not like this was like a very prominent theme in Commander. And we were fools for not predicting that a card that like kind of interacted with it uh, would do well. Yeah. Because it does require like you, you do need either the like sack outlet infrastructure or you need to expect that like either your opponents are going to be playing a lot of board wipes or you're going to be casting your own board wipes. It's not like a perfect fit for every legends matter deck. Yeah. Um, I, well that that's, I think, well, yeah. Okay. That is why I definitely know I missed it. You know, it, it just like makes sense as its own commander. Radadrabic is like, Oh, this is a cool commander. But I would mm-hmm. never have been like, oh, yes, of course, Radadrabic. Put that in my insert. That's the first card you put in your Jota deck. Yeah, really. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or something like that. So that's, you know, kind of weird. Whatever. Uh, lesson learned, question mark. <laughs> um, yeah, I'll I'll say that, like, uh, I think we can move on to the next one. I think Ellis Ilkor, I think this was one we probably should have gotten. I think that we know that um that like blood artist type effects or, or just like uh, aristocrats type effects are very popular in commander um we might have discounted this one because it was had a two color identity but that hasn't stopped other um other like similar cards from being popular mm-hmm. i'm thinking of uh what's the cruel celebrant is that the one from war uh yes yeah yeah so that one's in like forty thousand decks on edh rec so clearly like a white black color identity is not a huge issue for these types of cards because a lot of the decks that are running them are both of those colors um so i think this one i'll i'll say like that was our bad for missing this was a a predictable failure i think Mm yeah i i want to get into the two ones that were i feel like were completely unpredictable or mm-hmm. i feel like they were i don't know if if they actually I, were but i i agree with you i i i still don't fully understand why they are so popular yeah. other than i have some some theories that aren't very charitable okay um, okay <laughs> do we want to which one do you want to talk about for do you want to go uh alphabetical order and we'll we'll talk about braids first uh, let's talk about Shieldred first. Okay, right? let's, okay. we're, we're climbing up the top 10. Okay. <laughs> um, so Shieldred the Apocalypse, um, she's in almost 14,000 decks on EDH reg as of the time of recording. Um, it's not super easy to pinpoint exactly where where that's like coming from. So she's in a, a significant portion of the the braids arisen nightmare decks and braids has become like a fairly popular mono black commander. So that explains a little bit of it. She's in a lot of Gix decks. Um, she sees a huge amount of play in Nekusar decks, which mm-hmm. kind of makes sense. She's kind of, she fits in with that kind of effect. And also um, she's in a pretty significant uh, or like there's a pretty significant number of, of Crick decks that are running her as well, which kind of makes sense. Like you get to offset the life loss. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um but and, it's, and honestly like there's there's uh 
she's being in a smattering. Like if you're playing a black commander that has draw a card somewhere in the text, she's being played basically. It looks like there, there's like not in like the highest numbers, but it looks like people are just putting shield red into decks where the commander says draw a card on it somewhere. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, that's, that, that is true. That's kind of, huh? <laughs> I mean, it, it sort of makes sense. Like as just like, a card in black decks to offset all the life for cards payment. Yeah. Um, but I mean, it's, it's good in those situations. It gives you like more resources that you can then funnel into more card draw. Um, but it, I think this is just like my bias of life doesn't matter. I'm always like so willing to like, take hits rather than chump block or like pay huge amounts of life to a fire covenant. Um, so I think I have a blind spot when it comes to evaluating cards that do nothing except like tick dies up and down. Mm, um, yeah. The, the big life gain cards you're not usually looking at. Yeah. So I think that's sort of what led me to not see that this card would be, as popular as it has become. Um, do you have any theories about like what caused your blind spot? Um, I think kind of the same. I, I think I was looking at shielded as um, more the Nekusar route or like, wow, you can, you, you got him a grim and it really wrecks your opponents when they're, drawing a bunch of cards really punishing them and it looks like a lot of people were playing her as like a uh the ouchie no ouchie is bad which Mm -hmm. uh is not also something i'm not inclined to do i i grew up with like suicide black as an archetype in standard and stuff like i just am okay with going down to six life if i win the game you know like mm-hmm. like that's something that i felt too so when i looked at shielded i really was thinking like oh yes this is a card where my opponent if they're trying to draw out of the bad situation is going to take like 10 life as opposed to like if i put this in my yagmoth Thran physician deck then i don't have to lose as much life when i draw cards you know like so I, I I'm kind of on the same page as you, probably not as like strictly, but I, I guess I figured like more players were in line with what I was feeling, and I and now I have seen that that is not true. I, I've seen how the, not just with this card, just in the last like few months, I've seen um, how much people value life gain and little bits of life gain, and how valuable that can be for certain game plans, which is something I'm taking to heart. You know, that's mm-hmm. not. Uh, a way of thinking that I would have had before because it's never really mattered in the playgroups I've been (laughs) (laughs) but um, yeah do we want to talk about braids because braids is also like uh, unexpected yeah Yeah. very very popular so braids is in 18,370 decks at time of recording which is crazy (laughs) yeah that's great, and it's not like there's like one, like a Joda or something that's really slurping up all of the braids. It's like she's played in like a bunch of this deck, a bunch of this deck, a bunch it of just this seems deck. Like 
just like looking at her the page for her as a card it just seems like every black deck printed in the last couple of months people are trying braids in yeah um, there's not interestingly like there's not um much she's not being put into older decks that much like there's not even like a just a top commander section it's all like new commanders um but she's seeing like crazy amounts of adoption um she's in the majority of radadrabic decks uh she's in about half of all solo wind grace decks um she's just really taking up a lot of space here yeah she's and, in she's in a lot of shielded decks she's in like she, 2000 of them or something it's just really weird to me like to me like this is like braids is not just an engine that i would try to put into every deck and even though like a lot of black decks will have like sack fodder and stuff for her i i didn't i wouldn't have thought like oh yes of course put braids in here I think I felt well, okay. When we review commanders, we don't tend to focus on them in the main deck that much. I think she is not bad in the main deck if you have a lot of sack fodder. Like Yeah. Even even though it's only once per turn, you do you can potentially get like uh well, you're kinda getting like three cards either way. Either they're like sacrificing three things or you're drawing three cards or some combination of the two. So it's not bad. So yeah, Braids is seeing to play in a ton of places. It's definitely a good card, but it only triggers once per turn. It is fragile. Maybe I'm just like undervaluing the part of the card where it's a sack outlet for anything, like being a sack outlet for enchantments or lands or artifacts. Mm. Really, really rare in black uh, and definitely has a lot of utility. Like I think some of the reason it's seeing play in Soul of Wind Grace is because it just gives you a decent way to convert lands into cards. And I think that maybe that aspect of the card, it makes it more than just like a typical, um, you know, sack creature, draw a card kind of effect. I am 100% willing to to go with that one because... It is true, like, uh, oh man, I now I can't remember the name. It was the card that it was black, black, black for an enchantment um, that you could sack a permanent, like a non-token permanent to draw a card. Do you remember? Oh, um, Infernal Tribute. Yes, Infernal Tribute. So for a while, our meta was very uh, big on Infernal Tribute. And uh, I, I think I, I had... I think I had something to do with that. Yeah, it was you and another friend of ours who uh, would play it often because uh, just being able to sack anything is a lot of good utility and the fact that you get a card out of it, really cool. Um, I also just like that it's black, black, black. It really feels evil, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool. Um, so, yeah, that honestly, maybe that is what is going on here. Like, it... The mega high adoption in Soul of Wind Grace is definitely something, but it's also being played in decks that deal with like permanence dying and things like that too. So maybe it, it maybe that's what we missed is that even though it's kind of a lame like sack outlet, it's still like a sack outlet for anything, which is rare. And Infernal Tribute's not a card that like most 
people know about. <laughs> yeah. So maybe that, yeah, maybe that's what we missed. Um, I'll ask, I'll ask one more question before we sort of move on to our bro predictions. Braids and Shieldred kind of surprised us, topping the charts here. Do you think if the flavor was different, do you think if these cards were associated with different characters, uh, they'd see as much adoption? Um. Oh, that's a that's a great question. I think I would say so. I'm going to say that even though Braids is a meme, that the Braids card is actually like she could have done something similar and not seen as much play like to old braids, you know, like could have been like everyone discards a bunch of cards on their upkeep. And I don't think it would have seen the same kind of play, you know, what about this exact mechanic, but different character you've never heard of before? Um, no, I still, I think that would have seen a decent amount of play. I, I am putting my money on people wanted to s- play with this mechanic and i'm hoping that that is uh <laughs> the what actually happened and i guess it'll we'll have to ask like listeners if you are playing these characters because you like the characters let us know because i'm i'm convinced i'm hoping that it actually is the mechanics and not just okay i, the, I, <laughs> I will say i think people? it's i think it's mostly the mechanics but i do mm-hmm. think that some of this is attributable to the fact that like you know free braids has been a meme for forever a decade yeah yeah for so long uh, yeah, okay and i will give you and i will give you that that is true there's probably a non-zero number of people out there who are playing braids because of the free braids memes so you know oops <laughs> whatever but um yeah let's move on i guess we we did miss some other ones but they make sense to me the ones that we yeah. missed this time um so timeless lotus you probably just put that in every single wooberg deck and that is exactly and there were a couple like. of wooberg's like we got a wooberg precon and, and joda's enormously popular it's like okay mm-hmm. i get it yeah totally totally you put that in any of your you put that in old joda new joda you put it in any five color deck whatever okay cool um the relic two uh, was another one that we we missed the relic of legends i think that was another case of like i'm really excited for this but um like i didn't trust the entire community would be like yeah Yeah. (laughs) I, i was i put it in a couple decks um but again this is just kind of related to the radadrabic thing where we just didn't predict that legendary matters would be so widely adopted and would affect so many cards popularity um Mm -hmm. so i think that really led to it and that makes sense yeah definitely there there's some stuff that i'm surprised didn't see as much play that was in both of our thing i'm really surprised that sarah paragon isn't on the list because that's like now that they're dropping in oh it, it's on the top 15 <laughs> so it wasn't far off but i i am honestly and truly surprised that it did not um did not get up higher you know on that mm-hmm. list i figured it's like oh new mono white sample maybe it was the price because that was the reason i didn't personally buy that card <laughs> was because the uh the price was pretty uh pretty heinous but now it's semi-reasonable it's around eight dollars for a regular printing at time of recording so if you're listening and you wanted one maybe you'll also be picking one up i'm not <laughs> not quite sure but um I, but yeah. i'm still surprised that well I, i'm still pretty surprised that 
the uh, leaf crowned uh, leaf crowned visionary hasn't. I mean, it was it was like number sixteen or something. But elves is like the third most popular tribe. There's twenty seven thousand elf decks on EDH rec. It just seemed like such a slam dunk. Like if you're not excited about putting this elf in your deck, like what excites you about elves at all? <laughs> like, <laughs> no, I I also feel that way too. I was like, this is the this is it. Like this is the whole. This is what your deck brutal. needs. Exactly. You've yeah. solved for mana with your elves. This gives you the cards to, to make the elf ball happen. I don't know what else you want. Yeah, exactly. So that, that was confusing too. Cause I just figured like any, they've been honestly going pretty ham on like good elves the last like little while. So I'm, I just kind of assumed that people will be like, ah, yes, of course I will slot this in. Cause there's, there's, a lot of elves and you do have to pick and choose but it's not like there's like so many elves that you're like oh it's so hard to cut my which of these like elf payoffs like unless i'm wrong i i maybe someone is really into that i don't i'm not sure i don't know it just seems like a shoe-in it seemed like a shoe-in that's really what i'm trying to say here so Oh well. <laughs> oh well. Uh moving on, let's talk about our brother's war predictions. Um so I'll go first. I'll try to be quick. Uh and then I'll or actually do you want to maybe trade off? Yeah, let's do some trade off. Um some of it is gonna be the same, so if we repeat then or I'll try not to repeat if Nick goes first. <laughs> so okay. let, let's you start and then uh and then we'll we'll go from there. All right, mine are in no particular order except for the first one, which I think has to be the biggest. Oh, yeah, the biggest, the easiest one. Yeah, Uh, and it is Lauren of the Third Path. Um, So this is two and a white for a 2-1 legendary creature human artificer with vigilance. Um, When she enters the battlefield, you can destroy up to one target artifact or enchantment. And she has tap you and target opponent each draw a card. Uh, So, I mean, Reclamation Sage is in 150,000 decks on EDH rec. Uh, As I said during the set review, like the burden is on the white players to explain why they aren't running this card. Uh, It's just so good um, and so easily reusable. There's a lot of things you can slot this into. like, you know, you're going to put it in your human tribal deck. You're going to put it in any deck that can, like, blink creatures. Uh, it's just very staply kind of card. It's it's exactly what you want to be doing in Commander. Um, uh, I, I'll toss it to you. I think your number one is the same. But if you want to add anything onto that, please do. Mm, no, I mean, pretty much exactly what you said. It's a tutorable rec sage in white that has massive amounts of synergies with a bunch of stuff white is doing. So the first on my list was also Lorraine, <laughs> uh, not the uncommon the of the third path. So um, do you want to get into your second one? Yes. Uh, number two for me is Gix Yogmoth Praetor. Um, so Gix is one black black for a three, three legendary creature Phyrexian Praetor. Whenever a creature deals combat damage to one of your opponents, its controller may pay one life. If they do, they draw a card. 
and it has four black, 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 discard X cards, exile the top X cards of target opponent's library. You may play lands and cast spells from among cards exiled this way without paying their mana costs. Um, so it's essentially a black Edric with a mana sink attached. Um, I think that... So Edric only sees play in about 13,000 decks on EDA Trek, um, so not an enormous amount. But it's worth noting that Edric is in a color identity that has a lot of redundancy for that effect. Not only do you have access to like Coastal Piracy and Biden of Thassa and similar things, um, but you also have access to the green things like Tusky or Oren Frostfang. Um, so uh, Edric isn't as needed in its color identity as Gix is in its color identity. So there are a couple decks out there that are interested in going wide in black. Uh, for example, like, well, maybe Rogues is a bad example, but uh, there, there, there are some tribes that are trying to go wide in black. And I think this is just a fantastic... Uh, addition to those types of decks it does give cards away if your opponents are also trying to be the beatdown um, but it also damages your opponents in the process uh, and you're if you are putting this in your deck your deck is probably built better to take advantage of it and again there just aren't a lot of alternatives in this color identity for drawing cards off of combat damage in black mm-hmm so I'm high on it. And I will say that like after seeing uh, you know, Braids and Shieldred perform so well, uh, I think that mm, I think that this could do better than I was initially thinking when I put it on this list. Like the fact that it is a it it definitely has something go going for it in terms of like name recognition and like player allegiance to the flavor of the card like it's a phyrexian it's gix who everyone has been waiting for a card for for forever um i i'm optimistic about this card yeah i am too spoiler alert for <laughs> later in my list um my next card is actually a white one i went i tried to go in wooberg order but when i made this list it was uh not uh, I did not understand the color identity rules. <laughs> so, <laughs> spoiler alert for later on. So, my next card is actually another white card. Um, and this is Takasia's Welcome. So, this is a three mana white enchantment. It costs two and a white. Whenever one or more creatures with mana value three or less enter the battlefield under your control, draw a card. This ability triggers only once each turn. Um, so notably, that means every person's turn you can do it once. So, you can draw a card on everyone's turn. Um, and I just think this is the the closest comparison to this card uh, for me is Welcoming Vampire. We talked about this on the, the spoiler episode too, um, which is in 34,000 decks on EDA Trek. Um, this is harder to blow up. It doesn't fit into as many game plans as Welcoming Vampire. That's a, is itself a two power creature. Uh, it's a vampire. It flies. But I think people are going to play it. I, I'm... Maybe this is Zach being over-optimistic about white cards again, but I, that's my number two. Um, so at this point, I'm going to pass it back to you, Nick. What is your number three card? All right. Uh, number three for me is Liberator Urza's Battlethopter. Um, 
Shimmer Murr is in 33,000 decks on EDH rec, and it's extremely similar. So let's probably read this card off. Liberator Urza's Battlethopter is three mana for a 1-2 legendary artifact creature Thopter. It has flying and flash, and you may cast colorless spells and artifact spells as though they had flash. And whenever you cast a spell, if the amount of mana spent to cast that spell is greater than Liberator's power, put a plus one plus one counter on Liberator. So uh, it's an Enchimer Murph is essentially three mana for a 2-2 artifact creature Mur. It has flash, and it gives your other artifact spells flash. Um, so very similar card. This is slightly better in that, you know, it has flying. You can, uh, it grows over time. You can beat down with it. So I think that, um, I think that it's, I don't know if it's going to replace Shimmer but I think you would run it alongside Shimmer if that's an effect you're interested in. And yeah. it has a colorless identity. There are a lot of artifact decks out there. Um, there's also a handful of colorless decks out there. Uh, I think that this could see some decent play in Commander. Yeah. No, I, uh, I'm i agreeing with you there. So this is not on my list, but uh, I very much like Liberator a lot. I think the fact that it's a Shimmer Mirror Plus is cool. The fact that it can be a Commander is cool. The fact that it flies and gets kind of big is cool. So I think this is just a good card. It's a good design all around. Um, and my number three is going to be really quick because it is Gix Yogmoth Praetor. So uh, basically everything that Nick said uh, that you just heard about like three minutes ago, I'm repeating here for Gix uh, because it's the first time Black has seen something this intense. The only thing I'm going to add is just to repeat something about the flavor where I love that Gix is like utilizing other creatures for power. Like he's always was... Gix was always a puppet master in the storyline. So the fact that what Gix does in the card game, like on tabletop is like generate massive amounts of value with little creatures is like so spot on for me. So very excited about Gix. Um, and that was my number three. So what is your number four slot, Nick? All right. My number four is bitter reunion. Uh, this is kind of a, a bread and butter type card. Um, it is one in a red for an enchantment. When it enters the battlefield, you may discard a card. If you do, draw two cards, and you could pay one and sacrifice it to give creatures you control haste until end of turn. So, uh, easy com- point of comparison, Tormenting Voice is in 38,000 decks on EDH rec. This is largely better for a couple of reasons. Um, it, I mean, outside of, like, sorcery synergies, uh, this is harder to get two for one, and it has that bonus of being able to give your guys haste um i'm just pretty into this card it seems like mostly an upgrade over a very popular existing card i will admit that in the past the community has not been too keen to pick up on like slight upgrades of existing like and not very exciting Mm -hmm. cards Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um but in a in a perfect world where everyone is building their decks rationally, <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. we can only hope. We can hope and dream, right? Y- yes. Um, but what is your number four? So my number four is uh, also one that we might come back to. It's called Awaken the Woods. So uh, Awaken the Woods here is uh, a mythic from 
the set. It costs X, uh, green, green for a sorcery. And it says create X, one, one, green, forest, dryad, land creature tokens. So it is a token producing spell, but notably they are dryad arbors, so they also make mana. Um, this triggers landfall, so if X is any meaningfully large number, you're going to get that many uh, beasts or rhinos or badgers or card draw triggers or pinging or untaps or whatever landfall that you're getting. Um, you're going to be getting that many creatures. If they have haste, it makes mana. This just has so many um, little hooks to hang up your various hats on that I just cannot see this not seeing play. <laughs> like, uh, t- basically, the the big thing here is that there are 29,000 land decks on EDH Rec. So if this doesn't go into your land deck... Uh, and and also notable, the pretty much every single one of them, except for like one, is green. <laughs> Has green in the color identity. So it turns out green's pretty good with lands. I heard. So this just seems like a shoe in. This seems like a really, uh, really powerful, really fun, and just a card people are going to play with. Um, and at this point, I'm going to pass it back to you. What is your number five? All right, number five for me is Skyfisher Spider. Um, this is a little ETB creature. It's two black green for a 3-3 creature spider. It has reach. When it enters the battlefield, you may sacrifice another creature. When you do, destroy target non-land permanent. When it dies, you may gain one life for each creature card in your graveyard. If you do, exile Skyfisher Spider from your graveyard. Um, so this is a... I, I, I mean, during the set review, I was very positive about it. I still have good feelings about it. Uh, this is just an relatively unique effect um in terms of just an etb creature that for not that much mana uh answers a wide variety of permanent types um yes it requires you to sacrifice something no that's not really a downside or a major downside for a lot of reanimation decks sacrifice oriented decks like a lot of black green lists just aren't going to care about that downside like it, it'll add an experience counter to your Marin of clan Neltoth or something um i i just think this is a very cool card um there's not a whole lot of easy analogs to it in terms of like what's already seeing a lot of play on edh rec but i i still feel confident that like there's enough reanimator lists that have their eyes open during spoiler season and it, this is a slam dunk into those kinds of decks yeah this card rules <laughs> it's like one of my most favorite cards to play in draft and it just does it does so much there and it's gonna do a lot for you in commander too so this is not on my list but i i respect the spider you know um which i guess gets me to my number five so um mm-hmm. My number five is Argoth Sanctum of Nature. Um, so Argoth Sanctum of Nature is a land. Um, it's a green land. Um, and it uh, does a bunch of stuff. The first one is this is the land that melds with uh, Titania Voice of Gaia. So if you're going to see any of those decks, this is probably just going to be in it in particular. But I'm going to make the case that you should and that people will be playing with this card. Um 
So Argoth Sanctum of Nature enters the battlefield tapped unless you control a legendary green creature. So gotta be legendary, gotta be green. Pretty easy to do if you are playing commander. Uh, it taps for a green mana. And it says two green green, so four mana, tap, create a two two green bear creature token, then mill three cards, activate only as a sorcery. Um, so this is basically easy enough to play in your green decks that I just don't it, and it, and it fits with so many synergies. A lot of lands decks play out of the graveyard because one of the easiest ways to make sure you hit all of your land drops is you have an evolving wilds and a crucible and you just boom, I never am going to miss a land drop ever again uh, this whole game. So a lot of lands decks play out of the graveyard. So when you have a land that fits into green that makes a blocker for you so you can spend the time to spend four mana and mill yourself a little bit um and then synergizes so well with a bunch of things green is doing in general these days this goes into reanimator this goes into lands decks this goes into any deck that's really going to be playing out of the graveyard um i just think this is a good card and you're just going to see it in general there's thirty-one thousand land decks um oh I, okay there's there's roughly 31,000 land decks plus like graveyardy themey things. So um, if you look at I think just lands on EDH rec it's 29,000, but <laughs> if if you l- expand that a little bit more, I just think that this is going to go into a lot of decks and I know that I'm going to be putting it into a lot of green decks uh, even without Titania there. So um, at this point, uh, let's move on. What do you what's your uh, your next card? Uh, number six for me is Awake in the Woods. I, I think you covered it all excellently. I'm not going to rehash your words. Uh, I just think it has a... There's so many land decks, and it's so such an easy fit for those builds. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But what's your number six? Uh, mine is Symmetry Matrix. So this is the colorless card. It's an artifact. Um, it costs four mana, and it says whenever a creature with power equal to its toughness enters the battlefield under your control, you may pay one if you do draw a card so my case for this one because I, I i feel like some people have been comparing it to like mind's eye or something like that uh, which is like expensive is that uh mentor of the meek still sees play in like fifty-eight thousand decks on edh track and this is more or less like mentor of the meek it works really well with tokens because most tokens have square stats um and is gonna draw you a bunch of cards and notably can be played in decks that can make the mana to do this so if i'm making four four beasts off landfall triggers and i put a symmetry matrix in there well now i can just make a four four beast and draw a card for a land drop and a mana so it seems like it slots very easily into a lot of archetypes as like an engine for something that people were already doing um so i i think this is much better than mentor of the meek uh, even though it is not a body uh, and it costs four mana um i think this is just the access that other colors have now to an effect like this is going to make it uh played uh much more heavily um so like red and green and other mana efficient colors will be able to get into the uh the fun with this one so yeah that's my number six um what is your number seven number seven for me is haywire might uh, it is one mana for an artifact creature insect it's a one one when it dies, you gain two life, and you can pay green and sacrifice it to exile target non-creature artifact or non-creature enchantment. Um, so 
I mean, easiest point of comparison, as, as I mentioned during the set review, is Caustic Caterpillar. That's in 28,000 decks on EDH rec. Uh, I think this is mostly complementary to it. You'll probably play them alongside each other. Uh, and there just aren't a ton of effects like this at like for this price point. If you're willing to pay a little bit more mana, you can get into like Viridian Zealot or something or uh, Silvok Replica. But just for being so cheap, there aren't a lot of alternatives. And I think it's a great card that deserves to see some play. But tell me about your number seven. Yeah. Um, so this is one that uh, basically I'm going to sum up in three words. This is Portal to Phyrexia, which I know is three words itself. And uh, the reason why I think this one is going to be on the list, big, splashy, mythic, boom. This is a nine mana artifact that when it enters the battlefield, each opponent sacrifices three creatures. And then at the beginning of your upkeep, you can put a creature card from a graveyard, so any graveyard, onto the battlefield under your control. It's a Phyrexian in addition to its other types. So this is a mix of Debtor's Knell and... I don't know, like barter and blood. <laughs> like we haven't seen a everyone sack three, have we? I guess the one that gives you a bunch of food that I can't remember the name of off the top of my head. But um, this just does so many things. Is it like it's taste for death or taste for death? I think yeah, it was in the the brawl decks um, from Eldraine. But yeah, this this is better than that by a long shot. It's uh very kind that they let you reanimate this or cheat it into play and still get all of the triggers um this is just a new i think top end artifact staple so um 100 big splashy mythic i'm here for it i think other people will be too uh, and at this point if you are good do you want to do you want to go into your number eight yes uh my number eight is legions to ashes uh, this is another kind of bread and butter card. Um, it is one white black for a sorcery, exile target non-land permanent and opponent controls, and all tokens that player controls with the same name as that permanent. Uh, so it's uh, it's got some pluses or minuses relative to Vindicate. Um, exiling is often relevant. Uh, wiping out token armies is often relevant. Um, it can't hit lands. But I Vindicate sees plenty of play in Commander um and i think that this is a decent option for people looking for a versatile answer in this color identity but i will pass it back to you what's your number eight yes uh my number eight is uh a another story spotlight card this is the might stone and the weak stone i I think it's just the might stone and weak stone um, but this is a legendary artifact power stone. So it does count as power stones for your things that care about power stones. Um, cost five mana. And it says when the might stone and weak stone enter the battlefield, choose one, draw two cards or target creature gets minus five, minus five until end of turn. And it taps for two colorless, but this mana can't be spent to cast non artifact spells. So um, just a bunch of, very good abilities tacked onto one uh one card here basically uh i i was confused about the color identity there's been rulings on it now um so 
uh, a permanent represented by uh, the okay. So there's there's a bunch of rulings on color identity. The short version is that the front half of the card um, is not white and blue because this melds with Urza Lord Protector, which is basically the long and short of what I'm trying to say, which is a white blue card. But this card does not count as a white blue card. This is a colorless card. You can put this into your Liberator, Urza's Battletopter decks. You can put this into your um, Kirkesh decks. You can put this into your Brago decks. You can put this into whatever deck you want. So the fact that it gives you that much powerful effect up front, draw cards or killing things, kills most things, like kills most commanders, um, and then adds mana for very specific things, but things that a lot of decks want to do, especially um, non-green decks. This just seems like a very good card. Uh, It's not as expensive as I thought it would be, which is wonderful. And uh, at this point, I'm going to pass it on to you. So what is your ninth card? Can I say one funny thing about the Mightstone Weakstone before oh, we move abs- on? Yeah, absolutely. So as of the time of recording, uh, on Arena, you can put it into a decks of any color identity in Historic Brawl. But on Magic the Gathering Online, you can only put it in white-blue decks in Commander. <laughs> <laughs> so they actually coded it incorrectly uh, on Magic the Gathering Online. Because the real rule is just so unintuitive that their own teams uh, got it wrong. That's so funny. <laughs> All right, moving on, moving on. Yeah. Uh, third path icon- iconoclast is my ninth card on my list. Uh, this is blue red for a 2 1 creature human monk. Whenever you cast a non creature spell, create a 1 1 colorless soldier artifact creature token. Easiest point of comparison is Sahili Sublime Artificer, which is in 23,000 decks on EDH rec. Uh, this is very similar, slightly cheaper, doesn't have our activated ability, but does basically the same thing for less mana. Um, so I'm high on this card. I think it's an excellent reward for several different archetypes. And the fact that its tokens happen to be artifacts is uh, useful as well. Oh, I'm so in love with this card. I, I'm like obsessed with third path iconoclast. Like the card gets gets my my blood pumping gets my brain going i'm like oh think of all the things i can do with this because it's little guys they're artifacts they trigger off of prowess triggers basically it's so good so cool um, yes very much so uh what's your ninth card yes my ninth card another three word card big splashy mythic this is cityscape leveler um this is an eight mana eight eight artifact creature artifact creature construct it has trample it has unearth of eight and it has whenever you cast this spell and whenever cityscape leveler attacks destroy up to one target non-land permanent its controller creates a tapped power stone token so basically just like the only downside to this card is that it can't actually level a city which is usually lands um so sad i guess sitting in a bottle you could blow up but uh everything else about this card is wonderful um it's cool that it's a cast trigger on the front end but it also kind of sucks because you can't reanimate it but i think that most decks don't care about that in particular you'll be able to cheat this in with with alternate costs for certain decks you're gonna unearth it in the other decks you're gonna cheat it and play with haste 
Um, if you can cast it and give it haste, that's just going to be one of the biggest turns you can do. This card just seems like a house. It seems like a crazy good um, artifact that I think a lot of decks are going to play, specifically uh, Rakdos 2.0, but a lot of just big mana or artifact decks or um, decks that just generate way too much mana <laughs> are going to be able to do. Like if your deck can routinely get to like 12 mana, then why not put a cityscape level in? You know, like if you're playing like mono green or you're doing some weird artifact thing in mono blue, like why not have a card that just wins you the game <laughs> in your top end? So yeah, big splashy mythic. That's what I'm going for this set review. Uh, and what is your last card? Because spoiler alert, it's my last card too. All right, last card I'm predicting is Demolition Field. Uh, I mean, this is other other than Lauren of the, the Third Path. Uh, well, actually, this is probably going to eclipse Lauren of the Third Path in terms of the the pure adoption rate. Yeah. Um, so Demolition Field is a land, it taps for a colorless, and it has two tap, sacrifice Demolition Field, destroy target non-basic land and opponent controls. That land's controller may search their library for a basic land card, put it onto the battlefield, then shuffle. You may search your library for a basic land card, put it onto the battlefield, then shuffle. Uh, so it's strictly better Field of Ruin. Uh, I think Field of Ruin is in an absurd amount of decks on EDH rec. Uh, it's currently in 56,000 decks and demolition field is just better uh this pick is honestly like a little similar to bitter reunion in that it's a um, a slight upgrade over an existing staple uh but not especially sexy but i just can't imagine like a lot of people feel good about giving away free lands to opponents c and d with their field of ruin and whereas like the the upside of bitter reunion over tormenting voice is like kind of subtle doesn't come up that often like every time you activate field of ruin you're giving away cards and if the majority of commander players are like me that situation leaves them feeling disgusted and demoralized (laughs) they'll be looking to replace that card as soon as they can Uh, but what is your number 10 well, it's Demolition Field. <laughs> so uh, that rounds out our top 10. Both of us had Demolition Field. It, like you said, it was basically just the easiest thing um, to put in here. But we did have some notable like honorable mentions. I don't know if you want to uh, talk about those, if we want to just kind of close out the episode here and, and get to the combination. Um, uh, but I was just going to go over, if, if we had time, just like three cards i was looking at i'll I'll throw out one that like i really wanted to find room for on my list uh this is brotherhood's end it's one red red for a sorcery and you can choose one brotherhood brotherhood's end deals three damage to each creature in each planeswalker or destroy all artifacts with mana value three or less Uh, i like this card a lot seems very versatile uh it seemed a fair bit of play in modern um and i i just love what it does but it's not the sexiest card and i'm not sure it's on most people's radars yeah no i um i'm kind of right there with you that was one of the cards i wanted to talk about like i was looking for room on my list and i could not find it but this is definitely in the world of treasure and clues and 
artifact tokens, this is definitely more impactful than it might have been like circa 2014 or something like that. Um, when I probably wouldn't have batted too much of an eye, I would have just been like, haha, I blow up your soul ring. Um, I had two more I wanted to mention. The first one is going to be Gwenna Eyes of Gaia. Um, it's been pretty apparent the last few years that like big creature cool for a lot of players. Uh, so Gwenna Eyes of Gaia is a 2-3 elf druid scout for 3 mana. Um, they tap for 2 mana in any combination of colors, but only for creature spells or activated abilities of a creature card. A creature or creature card, so you can cycle them and whatnot. Um, whenever you cast a creature spell with power 5 or greater, you put a plus 1 plus 1 counter on Gwenna and untap it. So like you can just kind of chain a bunch, have a really big turn. Uh, you can just make Gwenna really big and then slam... Uh, this deck is really cool as a commander deck, but I just people really like big creatures. <laughs> so I wanted to point out this one. Um, I think this is a cool card, a cool elf, and a cool pickup for your big green decks. And then Sahili Filigree Master. This is going to be really cheap, and it's going to do a lot of work if you pr- can proliferate. So if you're playing an artifact deck that plays around with counters, that plays around with tokens... Um, I would really recommend this. Like you don't need it at all. Like if you listen to this review, then um, this is the kind of card where if you don't put it in your deck, your deck does not suffer, but it will be very fun. And I think that if you end up playing with Sahil, you're going to have a good time. So those are my cards. Um, I I've done the uh, front loaded work of our combined list so far. So both of us agreed on uh, Loran of the third path, uh, Gix, the uh, Praetor, Awaken the Woods and Demolition Field as four cards that we have agreed upon through just our mutual studies um, will be played very heavily in the format. So we have six slots and let's just uh, go through this. Which one are you like, this has got to be on it? Which one are you like, I I know in my heart of hearts that this card has to be uh, in the top 10. Um, I'm going to say... I'm going to say Haywire Might in part because like Zask has been printed since then. I think there's been a lot of community energy behind Zask and you have to put Haywire Might in your Zask decks. So it's not only is it just a good card, but I think it's uh, going to get more attention because of that. And like when people start playing with it, they're going to be like, oh, this is should probably put this in a couple more decks, too. Mm-hmm. yeah I'm, I'm honestly hoping <laughs> it's like it's it's very good um so okay let's do haywire might has entered the list um all right what what on your list give me a card that you think has to be on there okay i'm gonna i'm gonna go like super easy and i'm just gonna say portal to phyrexia i'm i'm I think this is a new staple. I know it's expensive, but it just goes into so many decks. I think it's splashy. It's big. It's fun. Um, I I can't imagine a world in which this isn't like played fairly heavily. Um, Do you, do you want to, does that feel good to you? Do you want to refute that? I'm I'm into that. So, so like to me, I've been thinking of this card as, Kind of like an Ugin the Spirit Dragon, mm-hmm. um, where like big impact when it comes down, like incredibly expensive, colorless identity, uh, big impact when it comes down, and then uh, like threatens more value over time. Uh, and I think that 
I mean, Ugin sees play in like 41,000 decks on EDH, right? Yeah, so wow. <laughs> I, I, I will accept Portal to Phyrexia on the list. I think that's a, a decent prediction. All right. So that means it's your turn to, to add another card. Uh, honestly, it's getting harder from here. Um, it is. It is. I'm going to say I almost want to like add a card from your list. Oh, <laughs> sure. <laughs> That's fine. I wanted to do one from your list. Do you want to do that? We can trade off. Okay, let's trade off. Um, yeah. I think that uh, there is enough appetite for like big colorless creatures um, that I think Cityscape Leveler might have a shot. Like Meteor Golem is uh in you know 51,000 decks on EDH rec. This is harder to interact with with counter spells. It recurs itself. It doesn't go into like uh blink engines as well or, or like reanimation engines quite as well. But I think that if you're looking for things to spend your power stone mana, if you're looking for like top end cards in your colorless decks, uh, I think this is like, I mean, it it kind of looks like an Ulamog, uh, yeah, like Ulamog one point or, um, I I think I think this card could have legs. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I'm down with that. So the one I want to steal from your your list is uh, actually Liberator Urza's Battlethopter, um, because I everything you've said about it has convinced me, um especially like the fact that because i play shimmer a lot i i love shimmer i've played it in a ton of decks and I, I know that that card is very popular it's been in multiple pre-cons it's easy to pick up people enjoy flash as like a gameplay thing so i was gonna say uh, liberator from your list was something i wanted to add to to the final one if that is okay okay go for it um last card i want to add from my list um I'll say, oh man, my, my heart is telling me one thing. My head is telling me another. Um, gosh. I know there's a lot of bangers. That's the problem. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to, oh God, it's so hard. I'm going to go with my heart and say Skyfisher Spider. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm. My last one that I want to add is the Might Stone and the Meek uh, and the Weak Stone. I, mm-hmm. I I just can't imagine with all of the artifact decks we're getting in all of the colors these days, with all the blink effects and everything, that that card isn't played. So that that is the last one. I, I if you want to dispute that, I'm totally fine. But I, I I just feel like it's going in. It's 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 in the red zone, you know. Let me ask one thing. Sure. Uh, do you think, so you say like it can go in artifact decks in, you know, any color identity. Do you think the majority of players understand that it can go into decks of any color identity? Oh, I don't know. That's a great question. I think, um, that, um, I'm trying to say this in the most charitable way possible, which is, uh, which is that I think people are going to put it in not knowing, but then it, it ends up being okay. They're going to be like, well, the front side's colorless. (laughs) Oh no. I, I think that people are just going to assume that that they're going to see like blue and white piping on the back half. And they're going to know, they're just going to know in their hearts. It's not, I don't think people are like, 
I don't think people are uncertain about it. I think people believe, just like strongly believe, oh, this is obviously a blue-white, or like this card obviously has a blue-white color identity. Mm. You know, it's been drilled into them, you know, since Garak Relentless. Like what the col- what like the color identity of the backside of a card means for the color identity of the card as a whole. Hmm, okay, then I'm going to go with Argoth, though. Those are my two that I'm like pretty sure about so my, my last card is going to be argoth then um because i i'm very confident in that one um i just from talking to people have noticed people being excited about it um and that one the color identity is is exactly what it looks like you know so if you're okay with that one i'm definitely cool to add okay. that one to the list all right, I'm d- I'm down. Let's lands are often a safe bet. Uh, we'll yeah. see how this one shakes out. With that, we are all done. We finished. All right, uh, we have our list of predictions. We will see how they pan out when we get to reviewing uh, the next major set, which is going to be all will be one. I'm. I can't believe that's the next set. Uh, I am just over the moon with excitement. I I cannot wait to see what's come out of the set it's going to be so cool uh i'm i'm on the edge of my seat and i'm going to be this way for months (laughs) well at this point uh let's finish up and we'll talk about our how we're feeling about brothers war so my my last thoughts on the set are a few things i think the first is that they are able to um really zero in on a part of magic's history that a lot of people maybe had like heard about like maybe in passing, but weren't really privy to That's something that I've been um, kind of amazed by is how, um, how few people interact with old magic for some reason, like not just like infernal tributes and things like that, but like the lore, the characters nowadays, it's kind of whatever is happening is the forefront of everyone's mind. There's like this zeitgeist that is pushing things forward at all times. And people probably just don't have the time to go back and look. So the fact that they're able to take this set that like a few people were very nostalgic about and just nail it, you know, like it's fun cards, fun gameplay, fun, limited fun commanders. Um, I think is, is awesome. And I, I really hope that they can do stuff like this with, other places perhaps like a a homelands or something like you know like let's look back at magic in a positive way like let's do a mirage but with a modern lens you know let's do um uh, the dark with a modern lens you know there's like a bunch of cool stuff that they could do and i'm excited that this set has maybe shown them that they can take these old ideas these old ips and storylines and characters and really refresh them in a way that people can resonate with now so that's that's where I'm at. I really like the Brothers War. I really like so many of the cards from it. And if you're ready, uh, I would love to hear your your last take on it. Yeah, I um and pretty much in agreement with you. I love that. I think that they executed really well on <clears throat> bringing back this old storyline, uh, presenting it through like modern design and really nailing people's expectations. I think you know everyone has been so excited to see all these old characters that they've heard so much about finally represented on cards. Like everyone who saw Urza Planeswalker has been like, yeah, that feels right. 
for Urza. That is yeah, an awesome like, <laughs> planeswalker. Just over um, the top. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I actually think that they... I, I agree with you. I would love to see them revisit other cool early storylines and present them through modern magic lens. Like um, Ice Age had a lot of like kind of cool things going on. Like it had, you know, charismatic characters. It is where we first saw Jaya. Um, it had like a, a, a lot of like classic magic tropes and, and like a storyline involving a war between these nations and, and like, I think that uh, there are other places in magic's history that is ripe for like reinterpretation and reintroduction to a new audience. I actually think that they didn't need to bother with the like flimsy framing of like, oh, Teferi and Sahili are, are, are like are creating this time machine to go back to this time. Yeah, I, I also uh, agree with that. I thought that was like it was fine, but it wasn't necessary. It was it, like it was an excuse to get other planeswalkers into the set because they need a couple to sell every release. Yeah, exactly. But they don't have to do that going forward. Like there are other planeswalkers in, in old storylines they can just have in the set. They don't need to like put new planeswalkers into old storylines to make them work or, or like, I don't care if one of the major releases out of the year, it just is not related to the ongoing storyline it, yeah, it's exactly. just like a non sequitur here is a cool story we think you're going to like featuring characters you've heard about before um let let's make some more cool jaya cards even though she's dead because she's just so quippy and everyone loves her um i i would love to see more of that because like you know i definitely have nostalgia for those early magic sets especially like like you mentioned the dark and mirage and a lot of these sets that we're covering in our seasons past series oh yeah yeah. Um, so uh, i would i I think this was like a really successful experiment i hope they do more like it um you know it's great to get these like one of cards in modern horizon sets or whatever but just really like fully submerging you into the experience of like these old magic storylines and really like telling them from start to finish and hitting all the story beats uh, and like giving you catharsis for, you know, like what's a good Mishra card look like? What's a, what's an Urza planeswalker card look like? And, and just really nailing your, the, the, the meeting of the expectations. Um, So I just from like a, I know that most of what we've said so far has nothing to do with Commander. <laughs> uh, but I, I just think this is a great set. Like the limited format has been great. Um, and I, I hope that the positive community reaction leads to more sets like it in the future. That's what I'm feeling about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm hoping that that is the case. And and like I said, the card designs rule. There's like so many cool cards. Like everything from commons, like... um uh what was the the red one that you were talking about the um, oh, brother or bitter reunion bitter re- bitter yeah reunion. there's like so many commons in the set like bitter reunion to like uncommons like haywire might all the way up to like your cityscape levelers you know like there's just so much stuff in the set that is just wild that goes into a ton of decks uh we didn't talk about it but i really wanted to mention phyrexian dragon engine mm-hmm. um 
that was another one that I was looking at, like, oh, this is so cool. But I was like, I, I, are people going to, if I say this, are people going to play it wrong? Are people playing it wrong right now? I don't know. Cause it's another one of those really tricky <laughs> cards. So um, there's just so many cool things in the set and I think they nailed it. Um, and yeah, I, I, I'm just very happy that we're going back to this Phyrexian storyline and we're hitting it in so many different angles, right? Like the DMU was like, Oh, the invasion again. And this is like, well, let's look back at the brothers war. And now we're going to be like, well, here's Phyrexian, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, like what does this look like now? And I'm just so excited. So it's really cool. It's cool to get some like really, um, magic flavor and IP again, you know, like I don't mind, universes beyond stuff I've, I've been a vocal proponent of universes beyond but it is cool to see a lot of these like themes and characters and like iconography that i have played with for a long time represented in uh, a way where it's playable again you know <laughs> it's actually like cards that i want to play with and that are good and that i won't just be like steamrolled over for playing you know so very excited really cool yes uh i think that just about wraps it up for the brothers war um we've got a lot of planned episodes coming up to to fill the time between all will be one and uh i once we get there oh my god i'm we're gonna have so much fun <laughs> with this yeah set. it's gonna be good um uh, all right but before we go i want to give a brief thank you to our patreon patrons they are gustav addison rick Raphael, kyle laser charlotte the white clays hannah james logan roger bryce dylan benjamin jamie matthew kyle brandon kevin jeremy russell dylan micah troy roxanne charles daniel andrew jason paul johan jonathan christian jim andrew Vasilios, logan frugal carl oscar danny b jean-francois drew recta nick bj cameron valerio zach quincy carrie Stephen, and the longs thank you all for supporting the show and if you're not currently a patreon patron but would like to become one please check us out at patreon.com slash commander theory. Thanks for listening. You can reach out to me on Twitter. I'm at commander theory. And on Twitter, I am at fat Bartleby. You can also email us at commander theory at gmail.com. Our theme song is Lincoln continental by Nick cage. You can check him out on SoundCloud. And if you're interested in some other creative products I'm working on, I have a band you can check out. We are a pink punk, pop punk band called The Have Nots, all one word like Cosmonauts. Uh, you can listen to all of our music for free right now. You can just head over to thehavenots.bandcamp.com. That is T-H-E-H-A-V-N-A-U-T-S.bandcamp.com. And check us out. Let me know what you think.